and welcome to Point of Origin, episode 57, the podcast where even Apophis, after dying and coming back to life, knows that Jack and Daniel are married. I mean, you can't escape the truth. <laughs> Do they just send out newsletters? What's going on? I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a bright light in the episode. Yeah, it was it was some good stuff. I'm just like, how how much did he like personally interact with them on that sort of level to get that dichot not dichotomy? I think that's the joke is the fact that he didn't have yeah. to interact with them for very long at all. It's just that painfully obvious. Like it's one thing for Hathor to know that they're married, but Ugh. it's fine. She's gone. The evil has been slain. <laughs> I've seen clips from the. Shit, I don't know which one. I don't know if it's... No, it's not Friday the 13th. It might be Friday the 13th. It might be Halloween. I can't remember. They're all the same. Um, It's one of the horror movies that involves one of the guys who with the, with the hockey mask who doesn't ever yeah. die. Um, It's one of the ones where they went into space. Hockey mask is Friday the 13th. Okay. And that would be the one uh, that... Yeah, it's like... Oh, God. Is it is it Jason X? Maybe that I don't. One? Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds like there might be one. I I listen to a horror podcast. That's uh, the only reason I know nice. this. It's like I also know about Jason goes to Manhattan. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it just it's just making me think of the scene where he kills some <laughs> laughably. I'm gonna call this an astronaut. Um, they he uh, kills an astronaut by shoving her into a vat of liquid nitrogen, and it's a it's 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 a scene. Um, but that's kind of what I think of when I imagine Hathor's death. Yeah, pretty much. That sounds about right. Yeah, but thankfully, the episode we actually watched today was st still miles better than that. That was a crappy <laughs> way of looping it back. Yes. So I thought I had all the pages I needed up, but I was wrong. But you lied to yourself. So, yeah, the reason this episode is better, uh, is because episode 13 of season 3, The Devil You Know the second parter of Joel and Earth Memories that we covered last week that was written by two nobodies who came out of nowhere. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know if they're somebody somewhere, but they're the first time they're shown up here. So like, the they're only nobodies. Time. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this time, this one was written by Robert C. Cooper. Don't get me wrong, I see why the person did what they did because... I see why they did this, but I, I still feel like they might be mistaken because I'm pretty damn sure Robert C. Cooper was not, in fact, the creator of both SGA and SGU. I think he was co-creator <laughs> co at best. Creator. But that's what the trivia, there is, there is literally one piece of trivia from IMDb, and it oh, says, no. written by the creator of Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. And I'm kind of like, I don't think that's did correct. Did they mean showrunner? Maybe. They might have meant that. From what I glanced at the SGU episode layout, I didn't, like, really look at it, but when we were looking at, like, Robert C. Cooper directing and stuff, yeah. it looks like he wrote, like, the majority of the episodes, yes. which would yes. typically, you would call that a showrunner. Showrunner, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I believe they were on the right to track. suggest he wrote a lot for SGA as well, so he might yes. have been showrunner for both of them. Yeah. Yeah, but... if I'm remembering right, that'd be much closer to where he was in that tier scale. So I'm pretty sure they were on the right track, but I don't think they used the, they got the correct terminology. terminology. Yeah, exactly. there we go. But the trivia for the other site I used was a lot more interesting. There we go, good. But yeah, I do love Robert C. Cooper, but I'm not entirely sure we can call him the creator. No, no, no. N neither of us ever tried to. 
but yeah, so Robert C. Cooper is back uh, to save a, a rough episode. <laughs> yeah, d- don't get me wrong. This one's still not not rough, but it definitely... There's I mean, only you can so tell, much you can do to yes, a start. You can tell just how much he improved upon what he had. Like, he was given a pile of something, and he went, oh, okay, okay, I think I can do something with this. It might resemble a story, but that... To be fair, you didn't really give me much of a story to begin with here. So. I like how one of the elements of the quote-unquote story he was given, he <laughs> just kind of tossed to the side. Like, that's not an issue anymore. Don't worry about it. So basically, he's Ryan Johnson. <laughs> he solved it off screen. He's like, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> and we'll get to what that is in a, in a little bit. But I just, yeah. I laughed so hard when it's like, problem solved. He fixed yeah. it. <laughs> but can we take a moment here to appreciate one fact that is undeniable? He understands who Daniel is. Oh, yes, he does. Wait, so I'm sorry. Real quick, before we get into this, we do have to give credit to Peter DeLuise for being the director of this episode again. Yes, once again. Especially because there were some good cuts in this. There was another weird, was that slow-mo necessary moment? (laughs) It went on for so long. I know. Peter, I kept Peter, going, okay. You're better than this. Okay. Peter, you're better okay. than this. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. We can resume normal speed now. <sighs> but other yeah, than that, there was no. actually one cut in particular I really appreciated, and we will get to that. But uh, but yeah, so on the subject of Robert T. Cooper getting Daniel as a character, 30 seconds into the episode. The episode, not even a minute. It didn't take a minute. <laughs> 30 seconds in to the episode, Daniel opens his mouth, talks to Apophis, and says, I'm in its dead. Sorry. Pause, pause, pause. Well, no, I'm, I'm not well, sorry. Well, actually, no, never mind. Not sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I am. Um, aside from the Canadian accent, which I never get tired of, every time I hear one of them say sorry, my my sorry, I'm just I'm just transported back home. It's beautiful. My dad's so fucking Canadian that he says sorry. It, when he says sorry, it's like he's trying to drag Toronto down into the states. <laughs> Let's just wait until the freaking Moebius episode where Jack alternate universe jack is just a canadian fisherman <laughs> yep. but yeah aside from the story uh my favorite thing to hear is just you know immediately pithy daniel because yes holy oh god fuck. i, I just mean i literally I was said like, oh i know who loud. i am this episode <laughs> right but like, when he was talking i was like geez daniel and then he said you know what no never mind i'm not sorry and i went <laughs> damn daniel <laughs> Yeah, it was one thing that, like, the second Apophis revealed himself to them, Daniel couldn't resist a cheap shot of, I'm it's dead, motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, it's only the thing that started his whole, you know, story of woe. Uh, if I could, I just, I-, I would love to reach that level of petty, honestly. That's I'm that's already that goal. level of pithy. <laughs> I-, I tend to be that cheap shot dickhead already, but. That is my goal in life, is to be that petty. <laughs> Oh, That's you're holding <laughs> several guns on me, and I'm in prison. Your wife's fucking dead, dickhead. And I'm not sorry about it. <laughs> it's like, oh no, the bitch that stole my wife for your enjoyment is dead. Boo oh, fucking who. God. Oh, that felt so good, man. <laughs> and there's that perfect amount of pause, which I'm going to give to both Shanks and Deloise credit for that. 
where he paused just long enough before he went, well, no, I'm, I'm not, actually. <laughs> he's full of so much fucking dude, it's intense. Oh, I, God, I, he's, yes. he's full of so much attitude that, honestly, looking back now, it's it was definitely a good decision to have Ben Browder play a very different kind of character yes! for yeah! Cameron, because if Crichton... And Daniel had had to exist in the same universe in the same shared space. I don't. I. I think. I think time and and all of matter might have folded it in on itself because I just Dude, don't know if that I, much sarcasm can handle it. I loved Cameron's happy puppy personality, having to interact with Daniel's "I'm fucking over everything" personality. Mel, I cannot wait to show you Farscape. Oh my god. It's not like, it isn't like Crichton is like Daniel. They're not the same people. They really aren't. They are diff. They are very different. But their levels of snark, <laughs> they're just both very intense. And um, I'm, I'm here for both of them. And I, but yeah, but you'll, you're gonna love the, I don't know how to describe Crichton in, other than chaos. Just chaotic snark and that's not daniel he's a little more a little bit more regimented and cold with yeah. it yeah i just uh cooper just let michael shanks run wild <laughs> yeah but that's what Attitude you should do wise. sometimes that's the best stuff yeah. i mean there's a director phil scridge i don't know how to say italian names okay uh-huh but he's the one who filmed the famous scene where jensen ackles starts air drumming and air guitaring to um eye of the tiger in yeah. the impala i know that scene that whole yeah. thing yeah it's beautiful that guy he's the one who um had let that happen because he was the director who tended to let the actors kind of go and do their thing and some of my favorite episodes as a result were as a result of his act of, of uh-huh. his directing and so I just, that is a, that is a quality that I look for in directors. If they can let that happen, if they can actually trust the actors to make the characters, you know, to act, it's not just about embodying yeah. lines and it's not just about embodying directing. It's about embodying a core. <laughs> there yeah, has exactly. to be a source. And I, I hate it when shows, when production will like forget that, that the actors, mm-hmm. it's almost as if they forget actors are people playing people. <laughs> they, I don't know, exactly. they go to surface sometimes, and so a good director is someone who doesn't just go surface, and so as a result we got a beautiful mind like Peter Deloise. Yeah. That, and a good touch. You brought up your uh, your requisite supernatural, so I'm gonna bring up my requisite psych. <laughs> Which is only appropriate, because they came out like same year or like a year separate 2005 2005 was when supernatural started something around there like i i distinctly remember watching supernatural prison break and psych around the same time so like prison they all came out like the same year or like a year separate god i forgot about prison break Prison Break, like, the first season was excellent, and then it Dude, went Dude, Wentworth Miller, man. That guy, it was epic. Oh, my God. He did uh, make Joan of Arcadia get canceled, but, like, in a good way. Because <laughs> he showed up as Satan, and everyone was like, whoa. Yeah, no. uh... <laughs> yeah maybe not. <laughs> he no, was I, good um... as Satan, but, like, everyone was like, I don't know if you needed to bring Satan into Joan of Arcadia. Yeah, that wasn't necessary. But um, uh, my the reason I'm bringing up Psych is because um, if you watched Psych when it was airing on USA, like 
back when you had to watch shows on TV because streaming didn't really exist. Yeah, the good old days. Yeah, yeah, those days. Um, If you watched it when it was airing on USA, they would always have, at the end of an episode, or almost always, they would have these little, like, outtakes. Nine times out of ten, it was Dulé Hill and James Roday making up a song in a scene somewhere, just, like, riffing off of each other and just making up a song. Uh, but sometimes there'd just be, like, these goofy little outtakes or whatever. But, like, the the directors for Psych would just leave the camera rolling with those two. If they're not doing they just left and they got so much good shit out of them because they realized, they recognized the the chemistry and comedic timing that, like, this whole crew had with each other. So they just let them go. And so there's so much improv in Psych. It became, at first it was literally just because it was Dulé and James and they were riffing off of each other and the camera happened to keep rolling. But it it was received so well that it started being a regular thing. Like every episode had some sort of like song that they, performance that they did. And they started bringing the other cast into it. And it just became, it became Psych. Because it gave the characters depth. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it just makes yeah, sense. Just it just makes you sense. Talking about, like, leaving the camera rolling, I'm like, that's psych right there. <laughs> no, that's how you do it. I mean, I'm not saying it's the only way to do it, but you should, there should always be a, a healthy dose of that, I think, in a show. For yeah. quality's sake. Hence why Deloise probably got brought back a lot. Yeah. Especially if you recognize the talent you have. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there's that too. I always have interesting feelings about the casting directors for the show because they seem to alternately be extremely on their game or and then sometimes letting the intern decide or something. I don't know because <laughs> like today all I can think is once again, it's interesting as fuck that they kept, it's not that he's a bad actor, he's great as Sokar and honestly with Anubis you can get away with it because, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 not Apophis, as um, Sokar yeah. specifically. No, 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 sorry, I didn't mean Apophis, I meant Anubis. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, then obviously it makes sense. it totally works. But it is interesting because not just because I could confuse people later when they saw the name in the credits, uh, but because <laughs> he's just got a very distinct presence. And I'm wondering now if they had had different plans with Sokar at first and then abandoned them when they realized it wasn't going to work for some reason. Which well, that's not a criticism because I, yeah, I'm thinking they might have had different plans and then for whatever yeah. reason realized that those plans weren't going to pan out and they were like, well, shit, but we put a lot of effort into getting somebody, you know, truly good at this insidious, yeah. terrifying shit. So, well, we can't do uh, the white face veiny look anymore. Let's go for the exact opposite. <laughs> the we'll inverse of the white that. face veiny look for the aura. <laughs> yeah, I, I never <laughs> cared for the priors. It was an odd look. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like anything that's not anything, but you know... <laughs> saying anything is uh, reductive but like a vast majority of the things that are filmed in tv shows that are filmed in canada will have uh actors coming back in completely different roles oh Psych well, had it yeah. happen supernatural had it happen so supernatural had it happen <laughs> so much well supernatural kills people like multiple people every episode they would right. have to right <laughs> It's always funny whenever I see recastings. It's yeah. just it's never not entertaining when you can ch- when you can tell. But I like how they do it in like for example in this show with Alex Sahara because there's a name I can always remember because I love him. Oh yeah, 
But you'll have him play Michael the Hippie or Zales or, um, hell, I think next episode he's going to be playing yeah, two roles. Yeah, next episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. he has two roles in uh, Foothold. So if that isn't the definition of recasting, I don't know what Yeah, it's... but, like, that one you can absolutely get away with because he's got so hell, much yeah, shit exactly. on his face. Exactly. That, that's, I just, I cannot get over learning that in the interview that I was watching of his on, with Dial yeah. the Gate because it, the fact that he basically was so damn good as Zales that he got a, he basically had an open <laughs> An invitation on the Stargate set. Just like, yeah, that's whenever we so need an great. alien, we'll call you. And it's just like, dude, that's <laughs> fucking cool. Hell you yeah, can just man. show up and get an alien part in Stargate because you're that good at your job. <laughs> I heard you were going to be using prosthetics next episode. <laughs> exactly. I heard you need someone to disappear into a role. Hi. <laughs> I really appreciate recasting, honestly. I don't think it's ever really a... Uh... People who use yeah. it as a criticism, as a way to criticize, it's like, well, A, I raise you your argument of uh, you're in Canada. What else are you going to do? Yeah, your your casting is limited. Right? And then I come back at you with the even more important one of they're really good at what they do, so why not give them multiple exactly. opportunities to showcase it in your show? It's called taking advantage of talent. I, I also think it's fun when the show will, like, make some sort of, like, meta joke acknowledging it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I do have to wonder, do you remember the one um, Supernatural episode? It was the one where they, they were centered around... Um, a film studio that was clearly doing like a ripoff of Evil Dead, but the book that they were using in the filming was actually doing stuff. But there was a whole plot line in it where um, they went to go investigate someone who they thought was dead or whatever, and they get there, and then Dean was like so excited to. First of all, they find out the guy's not dead, and then Dean's like excited because he's like, "Oh my god." this guy only plays dead bodies in movies and he's great and he like has this whole list of like people that he's and i do have to wonder if that was like a joke probably was it probably was especially for supernatural where all the people you're reusing have probably died yeah and no and that show was like that was the the leader in meta jokes so i don't know how they wouldn't have meant something by it and that was in one of the later seasons where they were making a lot more meta jokes too uh so let's actually talk about Stargate. (laughs) We talked about the first 30 seconds of the episode. But yes, so Daniel sasses off to Apophis. Apophis is not surprised because this is Daniel and everyone knows how Daniel feels about gold at this point. Especially Apophis. Yeah, it's not the first time Daniel's sassed off to him. But one of the guys who is just like one of those guys who like sees the sinking ship and jumps with the new leader or whatever. <laughs> yep. Uh, is like, oh, this guy's hiding something and pulls out the communicator. And um, they realize because he's like, oh, where's Teal'c? Teal'c's not here. And they're like, yeah, well, we're not going to fucking tell you, dude. <laughs> and then that guy's like, oh, this guy's hiding something. And they pull out the communicator and he's like, oh, this must be how you're speaking to Teal'c. And so he like tells Teal'c, hey. It's Apophis. <laughs> I'm still alive, motherfucker. I, I don't know if this is something to be laughing at the writing or to be commending the I, This is a conflicting moment for me because either this is silly writing or it's uh-huh. great writing. And it all depends on how we interpret this line because... Yeah. Not this line, but this, this little mini scene because I can't help but laugh at how dramatic they're being about a communicator as if it's at all surprising that they would have had somebody in orbit for like rescue purposes it's so weird that they would have a team member close by and it's so weird that they would want to communicate with that team member so i can't help but think it's not weak writing but it's just apophis being a dramatic bitch as always it is apophis is a dramatic bitch 
So in which case, it's just me giving myself an excuse to be like, I love you, Robert C. Cooper, for managing to squeeze every <laughs> little detail of good writing out that you can, because I love how drawn out this stupid little communicator scene is. That's like, yeah, of course they're going to have communication. Like, how do you think they were, like, or if, if not an of course, then it's at least a not surprising thing. Apophis helps Silk. He tells Silk, you need to go get back up. So Apophis shot himself in the planet here. Yeah. <laughs> or shot himself in the moon. Sorry. The yeah. moon. They're on no, the moon. No, he, he did. And it works because it's Apophis. He can't yeah. not. I believe it. It's Apophis. Yeah. <laughs> He's also clearly a little crazy after dying and coming back. Yeah. I mean, and it looks like whatever was done to his face couldn't have been pleasant. So. No. But yeah. So Apophis makes the guy who fished out the communicator his new first prime immediately after threatening the life of his previous first prime so i don't know if that guy wants to be that excited about being his new first prime i mean i feel like he's stuck between um a volcanic rock and a hard place so we get a scene with Poppus in his first prime where they're like where Poppus is giving like his plans how he's he's gonna get sokar to give him netu and all that shit um and he's going to get him to give him netu by giving him useful information which means he's got to get it from sg1 um mel could you remind me what apophis was the god of in egyptian mythology because i did not know that it was the god of exposition <laughs> well uh let's let's i genuinely listen i haven't been obsessed with egypt for a while so i don't actually remember off the top of my head let's see <laughs> chaos lol <laughs> that was the First one I got was chaos. <laughs> Evil darkness and destruction. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I guess it makes sense that he shot himself in the in the moon. Yeah. Oh, uh, the embodiment of the powers of dissolution. All right. Darkness All right. and non-being. <laughs> How much do you want to bet that came about because he was super jealous that his brother's the one who got his own resistance named after him? And he's like, no, oh, well, fuck yeah. you. I'm going to become the god of chaos, motherfucker. I mean, they, they, everything you look up for Apophis is basically about how he was like the enemy of Ra. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why he's mad about the Tok'ra. <laughs> I think it's really funny the dedication the writers had to the movie where they're like, yeah, this guy that, yeah, we know he started the story, but he was exiled and he's also long fucking dead. But we're going to name our uh, hardcore resistance against the uh, Goa Old. We're not going to say oh, yeah. against the Goa Old. We're not going to say against whatever. We're, we're going to say, say against, against Raw. Raw. Yeah, so, so we get this scene where um, his, his new first prime shows him the hand tool that they've been using, that Martuf was using to help with the memories. It's a nose hair trimmer. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I do love, <laughs> I love how this scene is shot because it's it's Apophis staring into a reflective surface and then his new first prime coming up behind him. Already a good shot. But I, as soon as I saw it, I immediately texted you, when will my reflection show? <laughs> Who I am inside. I'll never not appreciate a Mulan reference. <laughs> <laughs> and not just because I'm in love with Ming-Na. Oh, God, Ming-Na. Dude, Stargate Universe! It may have only been on for two years, but that means it's two years of fucking Ming-Na, man. She was epic in it. If you don't love Ming-Na, then you're just wrong. wrong. Yeah. But yeah, so he basically outlines his plan because he is the god of exposition now where he is going to use the device that this man got off of Martouf to uh, use the little brain chip 
to get info from SG-1 to give to Sokar so that Sokar will give him Neytu. And I love how it almost actually worked that way, that simple. The Goa'uld, <laughs> for all of their bullshit complexity, can always be relied upon to be super basic bitches when yeah. the need arises. It makes me think a little bit, not obviously not quite the same way, but it makes me think of the Vogons from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and how they can always be depended on to be, like, incredibly red tape bureaucratic. <laughs> yeah. But I just love how it doesn't matter if this guy has, was so hellbent on my destruction that he didn't let me just die in peace, but did all this shit to me. It doesn't matter, because apparently bygones will literally be bygones if I come to him with a tiny bit of information. I know! Well, I guess the Toker are that big of a deal. And also, because he was also trying to get the way to get to Earth, so... Uh, you know. Yeah, I guess. Although Sokar already had a way he was getting through the gate. I don't think he needs yeah, that from he already... your office. <laughs> yeah, The that's... only reason he's not on Earth is they gave your dead body to him yeah that is actually really interesting why does he give so much of a i guess it's just apophis being apophis there because sokar wouldn't have cared as much yeah i think apophis personally wanted earth yeah yeah because honestly sokar you're right sokar doesn't need the iris code no He's, he doesn't need shit nope <laughs> he doesn't care about her he's just like oh i got apophis okay bye guys i don't care you're you're ants i don't give a fuck I was yeah. using a magnifying glass on you for a while, but you gave me the thing I really wanted, so I'm out. I'm, I'm gone, bye. <laughs> Time to go back to my 10,000 ships, which, just yeah. like Rise of Skywalker, they just don't even bother to explain how that God, came no. about. <laughs> you know, it's only just a fuck ton of resources that you would have needed yeah. to do that. Not to mention, I know space is big, but this is also a universe where, like, there's extensive spy networks and the Goa'uld are paranoid fucks. And I like how he managed to sneak 10,000 ships under the radar. The smart way to do this would have been to directly tie Haruer to Sokar. There you go. Because the first time we saw Haruer was on a planet where there was, there was a With thing Building ships. Yeah. yeah. That would have been a very simple way to explain suddenly 10,000 ships Plus, is Sokar to tie is... Haruer. That would have been a great way to, like, show how manipulative he can be. The fact that he's Absolutely. able to play someone like Harrower, while also showcasing a bit of what we've already kind of gathered by, of Harrower by, by proxy. proven himself to be that smart. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's by yeah. proxy of just a few interactions of, with him. Like, we haven't really been exposed to that much of his personality or his, his machinations, and yet we can already kind of tell that he's a bit of a child, honestly, playing in the big boy playground. Harrower is a plot device. Yeah. But, and I mean this in a good way, his characterization yeah. was actually pretty clear to us. That yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, no, he's no. not up to snuff yet. But I'm saying because he was a plot device, you should have just kept using him as yeah, a plot exactly. device. Yeah, no, exactly. That would have been smart, yeah. At the very least, you know, to go back on a term we like to say, throwaway line would have been nice at the very least. Yeah, exactly. Because again, how the fuck do you go about sneaking 10,000 ships under the radar? I feel like somebody would have caught on. There would have had to be a supply chain at the very least, or a support train for all the troops needed to... Klingon cloaking tech? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> sure. Why not? But yes, so his first step is, of course, he's going to bring in Sam first. But thankfully, it's not really an issue of like, oh, the female is weak. Because he's going to pull this with everyone. <laughs> right. I think it's because it's on her head right now. So he's got to get it off of her first. Like, literally, so she's carrying well. the thing that he needs. Yeah. And she's already been attuned to it. So it just makes sense to use the already made channel. I will admit, the moment he said sin for the female, I had like this immediate flinch. 
And then yeah. realizing it's like, wait, no, it's on her. He has to get her first to get the device. It's like, okay, well done, Robert C. Cooper, for not making it sexist. I think we can pretty much always depend on him for that because all of my issues with Stargate Atlantis come down to the hokiness. Yeah. Never, not that I'm aware of yet, anyway. They don't, well, don't we'll remember see. any of this we'll shit. I mean, there. honestly, for example, Weir was just too badass from the get-go, mm-hmm. and it never really seemed forced to me. She just seemed automatically like, yeah, no. Nice. And, that, and speaking of that, yeah, no vibe, you get that a lot with Ming-Na in Stargate Universe, and even more effectively, I well, think. Well, that's because you have Ming-Na playing right? the character. Right. It's like Lucy Liu playing a character. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> It's like, God, what was the, I, I don't even remember what movie it was. There was some sort of movie where they announced that Lucy Liu was going to be the next villain or whatever. And someone's response to that was, I don't care what kind of villain she is, I'm rooting for her in this movie. <laughs> Only one I know that she's a villain in off the top of my head is uh, Tarantino's, so uh, Kill Bill. No, no, it's a new one. But oh. like, as soon as they got announced, all I remember is that she was announced as the new villain. And then someone responded with, that I'm rooting for her, it's Lucy Liu. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But yeah, so I think Cooper can't, I don't think I'd ever accuse him of the sexist shit. I think he's mostly of the opinion that women are just, you know, people. Weird. (laughs) But yes, so he calls for Sam to be brought in. And, uh, sorry. My note on this was, well, this plan is going well so far. (laughs) And, uh, very important question, Mel. Seriously, though. How the fuck does a Nubakar achieve his white veiny look because that looks real specific and he has sarcophagi um a good makeup artist yeah because it seems like it's on purpose i just always kind of wondered why it's for the aesthetic i mean speaking of dramatic bitches i guess that would track yeah but like before he brings in sam Apophis also finds out about the ship that teal was in orbiting and everything and how it was being how it was being pursued. Oh, they actually, I actually missed this when I was watching it the first time. Um, so we actually, Robert C. Cooper doesn't just have it solved. Well, he still solves it off screen, but he solves it off screen twice. So like <laughs> he gave the, the garbage cliffhanger, like the barest effort. <laughs> He's like, I, I'll throw you a bone with this. He actually solves it off screen twice. So from Apophis, we get him being told that there was a ship in orbit and that there were ships pursuing it, but it escaped into hyperspace. So we know Tilt got out. Yep. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Literally, I missed that line last time, so I was like, Tilt just shows up in his scene like, yeah, I got out, it's cool. <laughs> I mean, we would have bought it, but it's nice yeah, that they tried. I would have <laughs> accepted it. I did accept it, but <laughs> I do like that he gave he gave one word of one word of one line reference to it he's like here yeah Tilk's fine don't worry about him <laughs> we have to do memory walking down here on our on moon netu so but yeah so he sends for sam sam gets brought in this is where um he gets shot though right jack tries to stop her getting taken for a moment oh, he and he does get knee. shot in the leg his poor knee <laughs> i was a good he's- colonel until i took an arrow to the knee <laughs> <laughs> Until I took several zats to the knee. <laughs> yeah, the staff weapons in this staff weapons were um always effective, but this was a this helped me um learn just how you know icky they could actually be in the sense that it was like at first I'm like Jesus Christ, stop overreacting, it's a graze, and then they you know were able to actually kind of show the wound on his leg, <laughs> and I went, oh, I guess these things really are you know not so great. Yeah. Well, they killed Daniel in the in the movie. Yeah, but anything to the chest can kill a human. Humans are are <laughs> yeah. ridiculously fragile. <laughs> a 
a bean bag shot in the wrong time. If you take a bean bog, bean bog, if you take a bean bag bean shot bog. to the chest in between heartbeats, you can die. That's how yeah. stupid our bodies are. <laughs> but yeah, so he gets shot because he tried to be like, fuck the fuck she's going with you. <laughs> but so Sam goes to Apophis and he confronts her about the the memory device and he's like i'm gonna get you to tell me everything she's like it doesn't fucking work that way (laughs) it's not an interrogation device especially if i know you're not on my side like it worked in the hathor episode because they thought that she was on their side thank you robert c cooper for even as you rip off the worst indiana jones movie even with the addition of that you still managed to avoid a shitty trope of the people being interrogated forgetting that they're being interrogated (laughs) like unlike the Hathor episode where they don't know it in this situation you're fucking right they're gonna know it even if they get drugged they're gonna have a memory dude it's like Pathfinder when you're trying to use a charm person spell but Uh they get like it's either they get to roll again or they get a boost to their resistance if they're in a threatened environment there you go like if if you were attacking them and then you use charm person it's, it's harder for it to work on them exactly i just really love robert c cooper for obviously i mean i can't say he knows what pathfinder was considering how old this is <laughs> but you know i mean D probably did have yeah. something exactly the same just hoping that he didn't need D to be a good writer but to at the very least common sense <laughs> no matter what i'm just happy that he like D knows the concept of awareness I don't yeah, know. it's just kind of speaking of things that are ignored. It's not just character depth. It, it tends to be awareness that writers mm-hmm. ignore. It's it's like when we're screaming in a horror movie. Why the fuck are you going into the dark basement? Because I lack awareness. That's why. <laughs> yeah, and it honestly it kind of makes me think of I've seen your kitty in the bed. <laughs> she paused in the middle of licking to lift her head up and just kind of stare at the ceiling. Something's making noise up there. She's like, "What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? How dare they?" But it kind of makes me think, in a way, it's kind of a contrast to Forever in a Day with the whole him not being able to figure out when he was actually in a dream until he's at the very end of it. Yeah. But he's having this, like, this whole experience is with someone he loves and trusts. Granted, it's under Amit's hand, but, like, it's still, it's with, it's with Shade, and she's trying to give him information, useful information. He's not giving up any information in this. Like, that's, yeah. that's the difference. So you're allowed to kind of not think about how you got somewhere and everything, because there's no real invasion happening. Yeah, not the same way, at the very least. Yeah, exactly. I think it's an interesting contrast there. But yeah, so Apophis doesn't understand how uh, saving throws work, and he's going to try and use this this memory device to get information from Sam. And so he puts her in, and she goes to the memory of, uh, like, the day of her mom's funeral or something, I'm assuming. One of the things I like about this is that when we see Sam, it's Sam. It's Amanda tapping at her age with her hair. She's in the clothes that she would have been wearing in this scene. But, like, I like it. I, le- I like when um, shows or movies do this kind of thing where someone's inhabiting a memory or uh, a scene that their younger self had and you see them as they are now instead of them as the younger self because mentally that's where they are. I honestly, I love that they did that. I'm super here for it and not just because it wasn't the chick that reminds me of that person I grew up with. (laughs) Yeah. Not just because it was creeping me out to see her. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it, I like it better when we see that insertion because it, it helps me with my suspension of disbelief. Uh, so yes, yeah, so she's having her memory of her mom's funeral and about how this like conflict with her dad where her brother uh, blames her dad for her mom's death and she's kind of like floating around whether she does or not <laughs> as well, you know? And like she outlines that like, you know, you were supposed to pick her up but you didn't, so she took a taxi and died. But she doesn't quite say that it's his fault. She's kind of like, it's implied. Yeah, well, I think what's interesting is I think the I, I, I would give credit to both the directing, the acting, and the writing for the scene where I think there's such a great nuance to the way she's presenting the information and the way she's acting it that I think it perfectly frames that when this scene originally happened, Sam probably also agreed with her brother and blamed her dad 100%. But now that Sam is an adult and is being put into this memory, she knows it's not her dad's fault. So that's why there's that nuance there, you know, where she can't quite say, yeah, it's your fault, she's dead, blah, 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 because it's an adult Sam in this memory now. So she can state what her younger self thought, but not put the feeling into it, you know? I got a slightly different feel myself personally. I just I, I got the feeling that she hadn't quite had that dissonance moment yet, and that she, it was still the memory being acted out. I just got the impression that Sam has always been that reasonable, that <laughs> rational, that even in the in the throes of things, even when she hadn't forgiven him yet per se, she was still aware of basic facts, which were yeah, he had some part to play, but it wasn't mm -hmm. entirely his fault. And she just yeah. even when she wanted to be mad at him for it, she couldn't blame him entirely for it. Well, I, okay, so I don't want to say, I think it's honestly a combination of both. I don't think the dissonance had happened yet, but I think that helped get her into the dissonance. Yeah, maybe. Because I think, yeah, she was always a reasonable person, but when you're in that situation, in that moment in time, you are going to be more emotional about it than, yeah, like, maybe. Sam as she is now would be. So I feel like probably she was always, like, when she was younger, she did have, like, that, well, I mean, technically it isn't your fault, but she was emotional about it and had, like, that it is your fault anyway, emotional investment. But now that we have adult Sam coming into this memory, that's when that dissonance forms. Because shortly after that, especially when Jacob starts pushing. I don't know if I think that per se, but I can I could see it. Well, I think what's nice about the scene is that it's vague and nuanced enough that you can take whatever interpretation you want from that. But yeah, so Apophis is so impatient. <laughs> He's the god of impatience, honestly, not chaos. Um... He's so impatient that he doesn't want to let this scene linger too long. So he starts having Jacob in the memory be like, I, I'm dying, Sam. Oh, because it, it's prompted because uh, Sam of now starts being like, you know, I couldn't hold on to this when you were, I couldn't hold on to this feeling, you know, when you were going to die of cancer, blah, blah, blah. Right. I couldn't let you die feeling like I blamed you for mom's death and all that kind of stuff. Then Jacob's like, but I am dying, Sam. And he just starts, like, pushing, like, you have to tell me how to get to Earth, blah, blah, blah. Just, like, Apophis is so unsubtle, and I love it. Yeah, he's he's not capable of subtlety. He, even even no. when he's desperate, he cannot capitulate. This is why the Tok'ra are the Tok'ra. They didn't need to be spies against you. Spies are too subtle for you, dude. There you go. It's like the fact that he thought a spy was immediately going to give him the right information that he wanted. Mm -hmm. Never mind the fact that, like, I th we already talked about this in the Demons episode, but, like, notoriously, torture, uh, more often than not, gets you lies as answers instead of actual 
truths as answers. Just anything to get you to stop. Yep. So, like, the fact that he's like, I am going to torture these people and get the answers I need, and they're going to be correct. Never mind that three of these people have been uh, first contact teams against all manner of, of dangerous situations for a couple years now and can probably handle this. And also, one of them is a spy, but they're going to give me the information I need. Yep. <laughs> oh, Apophis, you sweet, simple boy. Sweet summer child. Yeah. So Sam basically is like, no, <laughs> I'm not stupid. <laughs> Just like, she doesn't fall for it. She's not, no, she's not doing it. <laughs> and he's like, ugh, fine. So he decides to try Jack next. And of course, Jack's weak point is going to be Charlie. And of course, we open up with, uh, sorry, dude. Oh, sorry. Before this. I'm sorry. How dare you? Anytime it's like a five second scene, it's not a five second scene, it's more like a minute scene, but anytime it's those, it's like, wait, when did this happen in the storyline? When did this tiny little bumper happen? So when he doesn't get anything from Sam, he's like, God damn it, fine. The son of Sam. Then we cut to find out what happened to Teal after he went into hyperspace. And what happened is we went back to the Tokra and told them what was up. Plays the little recording. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, uh, we, we'll talk to the rest of the council and figure out what we're doing. Just sit here, I guess. <laughs> and so Tilt gets to just sit around. Tilt doesn't get much to do today. <laughs> we're just lucky that Tilt wasn't, wasn't in a state where you need two-party consent to record. Yeah, there we go. It's so funny because Tilt gets to do almost nothing in this episode, but the things he does get to do are great. <laughs> Tilk is utilized in a better way, I think, in this episode, yes, because he's yes. extremely effective, because he's given the ability to be effective. Yes. And we get to see his personality involved. Yeah, in exactly. Too. Dude, I gotta say, I did appreciate the casting for that Aldwin guy. Yeah. I think he and uh, Tilk played off each other really Absolutely. well in the episode. Their interactions were great. I think he did a great job of being, like, the spy who has to have a solution and an answer, even if it's not one you like. No, I loved his character. I even have a note in here where I'm like, dude, you're just doing your job. You are correct. Good job, Aldwin. Yeah, exactly. But I also love that after Teal, because like, fuck no, I'm saving my friends, and like locks him in the, the room or whatever. After he realizes, well, I'm not getting out of here. Okay, I'm going to tell Teal how to do what he wants to do. If this is going to happen, I might as well be a help yeah, exactly. rather than a hindrance. Mm -hmm. No, it's exactly. He's. He, I love this little side character for being so also very effective. His presence is necessary. It's kind of hard for me to put into words, but I just really, I just appreciate his presence in the episode. He's great. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Apophis brings Jack in and tries to do the whole cop uh, method. I guess in his time on Neto, I guess Neto gets like cable or something because he's been watching <laughs> some cop shows. And as soon as Jack gets brought in, he's like, yeah, your Major Carter told me a lot. And Jack's like, I'm not an idiot. She didn't tell you Jack. <laughs> and so he puts Jack into the memories and um, it's Charlie and Charlie pulls a water gun on Jack and Jack He's not happy about He's it. Not impressed. No, yeah. And Charles like, chill out. It's just a water gun. You have a gun. He's like, yeah. Well, that's different. <laughs> you know, I'm about to get not just Canadian, but a little bit. Uh, according to Summel, I'm about to get a little anti-American here because yeah. this episode had um, an opportunity to really explore the theme of gun control, just at yeah. all. 
And instead, they went for just the tragic element of what happens when you leave a loaded weapon in a place for people to get their hands on, much less children. Mm -hmm. And that's an argument that needs to be talked about a fucking ton more in the U.S. for sure. Oh, absolutely. Even if the audience was small, this could have been a, a moment for the show to do a better job, I think. It would have been nice if they had explored that theme a bit more. I'm not sure how they would have done it. I'm not sure how much time it would have taken. This might be an unreasonable request, but I honestly don't think it is. I think every single time a show brings this up, I think any time media brings this up, they have an obligation to actually explore what it is they're bringing up. But they don't because it's, you know, gross morally, I guess, ethically and uh, politically. So they don't want to deal with it. And it's like, well, Uh, too bad. (laughs) Yeah. You're talking about a child who in this flashback is going to say, I got mad and in two weeks I will shoot myself with your gun. Because I'm playing with it like a fucking toy. And the show just goes, and that's a very sad thing. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) And I'm like, no, you don't just Morgan Freeman narrate this shit away. No, this is a very important topic that no one is willing to talk about here. And that bugs me on a visceral level. Like, I don't think it has to be a political topic. I think this should just be a simple fact. Guns equal fucking death. (laughs) That's what kills me. This show was the same way. It was happy to talk about the tragic consequences of a child's loss of life, but they weren't willing to mention, you know, because guns are just left around. (laughs) So yeah, this episode uh, does a great... The actor playing Charlie does a great job of... I I love how instantly mad he gets with Jack. He plays a kid really well. It's almost like he is a kid. But seriously, kid actors are always, you know, a a rough spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the kid was very convincing with his, hey, fuck you, you have a gun, I want one, I'm a child, and I don't care how logic works. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but then, like, so, um, he does that with Jack, and then, like, Jack tries to, like, make the memory happier, and, like, God, can't we just play catch? Why don't you just fucking break me? God. Yeah, right? Just punch me in the face, it'll be easier. I love how he says that, and then the kid playing Charlie is, like, immediately furious with Jack, like, that's not what happened, you're changing the memory. (laughs) Jack's like, what? (laughs) So while, real quick, while uh, Apophis is entirely failing to convince Jack to give uh, fake Charlie anything, (laughs) like, it's so unsubtle, it's hilarious. Sam is warning Martouf about uh, the questioning method. She's like, look, it's not like it's not just, like, straightforward torture. He's gonna, like, mess with your emotions and your, your memories and kind of stuff. Like, preparing him for it. Yeah, I, one thing that kills me here is she says, you know, don't let them use Jolinar against you. And I have to point out, once again, that Jolinar was half of that equation. And they are, once again, just not even, they have no problem using the likeness of the host for Jolinar. Uh-huh. But she's completely not mentioned at all. Like, Lantash and Jolinar were the ones who were mates. And obviously, I'm not sure how they're quadruple. I, don't, I know the word is thruple for three, but I don't know. what is it quadruple for four? I don't know what the sure. word is. I don't know what the word is. Whatever it is, I'm assuming it obviously involves some sort of emotional bond between Martouf and Jolinar as well. However, there was still a fourth member there that everybody seems to be forgetting about. And it drives mm-hmm. me batshit here. Especially since Sam, you know, is herself a former host for Jolinar. Why yep. doesn't she have any concern for the other host for Jolinar? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Like, the actor's name is Tanya something, and I gotta say, she does actually look like a Tanya. Yes, yeah, she does. She does look like a Tanya. But I would have loved to know what that 
character's name was. <laughs> I don't know if they ever mentioned it. Um, I, they might have mentioned it in the other Toker episode, but I, I don't remember it because they don't care to bring it up. No. It's like, guys, you're kind of erasing a woman, and it's a little gross. But yeah, so she warns him. Yeah. I guess it's a little, like, I'm not giving them a pass here, but I guess it's a little rough when uh, she was already dead by the time we get to her. Right, but it would have been nice to know how, like, yeah. they don't even talk about that. Like, there's supposed to be no. some emotional elements here, and yet they don't have any interest in exploring. Why would that be sad, guys, that she's dead? It's almost as if she might have mattered to somebody. Maybe yeah. you? Why are you so eager to immediately accept Sam as this new presence? I would have thought a mourning period would be in order, but I guess that's just me. I don't know. Maybe Tok'ra court different. Who the fuck knows with them? (laughs) I'm guessing what it was is that Martouf and Lantash were both super into Jolinar and they couldn't have given a fucking fig about (laughs) motherfucking, what's her name? Tanya, not not Tanya. Tanya no name is her name now. There we go. Uh, But yeah, so Apophis is bid with charlie <laughs> goes just as poorly as his bid with uh jacob with sam it doesn't work so he's gonna have to try again with someone else uh but meanwhile we go to aldwin and tealk who are on their way back to the moon and aldwin is telling tealk about his plan now how he basically has a nuke that can hurt sokar but he can't get into sokar's ship with it so what he's gonna do instead is do the ender's game gambit where he's gonna blow up the moon instead and just to make sure Sokar's ship is close enough to the moon when it happens, because it's it's a moon full of like lava and shit. So like, the reaction he's gonna cause with the it's gonna shoot straight into the the core and blah blah blah. Like yeah, science, <laughs> fake science, but science. Yeah, fake science. <laughs> it's sci-fi. It's, of course, it's fake science. <laughs> Before J.J. Abrams did it, this guy did the whole annihilate the core, therefore annihilate the planet thing. He didn't punch the hole though. The hole was already there, punched yeah. by Sokar. But yeah. So and and it looks like. But that would kill my team. <laughs> and he's like, well, if they can't get out in time, I, I have a job to do, my man. But I do like that, like, when he clearly shows that he's not happy with this plan, the guy's like, this is my plan. I'm going to do it. If you're not cool with it, you can stay here and I can go do it on my own. Meanwhile, like, on no, Borash. I'll come with you. I'll come with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm cool. I'm not going to suddenly attack you when we get there. Don't, don't, don't think about it. This is another moment, though, where we have to appreciate good writing because this is how you naturally get into the conversation what planet they're on. Vorash. Because he says to Teal'c, if you don't play with me, then you're going to have to stay here. I'm going to have to insist on it. That's actually really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Robert C. Cooper, for doing a good job here. Yeah, because it's going to come up later what name of the planet it is. Yeah, so we go back to the pit where Jack has been returned, and he confirms that in his teens slash early 20s, he did acid. (laughs) I do love that. They gave me something that reminded me of the 70s. (laughs) It makes me think of my favorite, hands down, favorite. Oh my god, why am I fucking forgetting his name? The guy who has all those cameos in Marvel movies or had before he died recently. Stan Lee. I know, I I told you I was like, why why can't I remember his name? You're good. But hands down, my favorite cameo that he ever did was in, um, I think it was Ant-Man and and Wasp. I think it was the sequel. And it's where uh, there's a fight going on and he's, as a cameo, he's about to go into his car and the fight hits his car and shrinks it. And he just stares at his car that just shrunk in front of him and goes... I can't remember his exact wording, but it was something like, wow, the 70s really did it to me or something. <laughs> I can't remember the exact wording. Yeah, the wording was so lines. good, but I was like, oh my fucking god. The delivery was so perfect. 
Hands down, my favorite cameo. <laughs> You'll have to look for it sometime if you can, because it's honestly one of the funniest fucking TikToks I've seen recently. It, this guy pulls up his car at a stoplight next to another car, and he looks over at this, you know, kind of silver fox who's driving it, and he rolls down his window and goes, hey! And the guy looks over and he kind of smiles like, yeah, hi, and he goes, don't take us the wrong way, but you look like you did a lot of blow in the 80s. <laughs> and the guy just goes, ha, you're, I did, I did. <laughs> How'd you did. know? Well he actually asks and he goes, I did. How'd you know? And he's just like, ah. oh my God. And then that's it. They peel off from each other. They move on. But I'm just like, what the fuck? But yeah, that just kind of what you were talking about with Stanley just kind of reminded me of that immediately. Yeah, the wording was something like the '70s really did a number on me. Something <laughs> yeah, like something like that. Like, oh boy, oops. I guess I guess all that acid was a bad idea. Yeah, but I I just I appreciate Robert C. Cooper letting all of us know that uh, Jack did acid. <laughs> Honestly, I could totally see MacGyver having uh, absolutely having some fun in the '70s. But yeah, so he he confirms that he took acid. Apophis takes Martouf, and I love that as soon as they took Martouf, there's a civilian in this group, but I'm like, Martouf's the weak link, Mar Martouf's the weak link! <laughs> if anyone gives up the information, it's gonna be Martouf! <laughs> I do have to credit the shit out of uh, them for making him appear to be, up until this point, they've done a great job of establishing Martouf as a puppy, and it turns out puppies got claws, man. Well, yeah, because we haven't seen him actually be active in any sort. Because he's always on the home planet of wherever their base is. You don't see him doing any missions. But he all the all the Tokar are spies. Yep. So yeah, I I think it's great that like I think there's been just enough of only seeing him be like the liaison that like having this reveal that he does actually know what he's doing was nice. Yeah. But I did, I immediately texted you, like, no, Martouf's the weak link. <laughs> with, with a civilian on the team, Martouf is still the weak link. The spy is the weak link. <laughs> I do have to say, though, I do like how Martouf seems to be cultivating for himself the uh, aura of underestimate me. Yeah. I'm no, just a poor little boy. Again, it's a perfect buildup that yep. this whole time we've only been seeing him as a liaison, so we buy it. Like, as the viewers at home were like, oh no, he's gonna spill it. <laughs> and uh, we cut back to Teal'c and Aldwin uh, momentarily, uh, where basically, Aldwin's basically saying about how he can't, like, wait around for a rescue attempt. Like, the timing for shooting the, the weapon into the moon has to be perfect to catch Sokar. <laughs> Like, they can't risk the- it's, it's, you know, the ticking time clock that, that Stargate likes to have a lot. Yeah. Like, we have a very specific, uh, window we have to hit. <laughs> and yet, so here's what kills me. It's this show likes to pretend that sensors don't exist because they have- there's so much time. Sokar has so much time to fly away, and it can either be a trip- somewhere along the way, the writers decided that they don't care. It's either yeah. at the sensors thing, or it's at the, um- just how fucking long can it possibly take to spin up your hyperdrive? Creating a hyperspace window is super easy in Stargate Atlantis. And I know it's a lot later, so obviously they had time to refine the idea. But I think it's really funny that these guys are like, well, it takes about 12 minutes for this thing to blow up a planet. And in that 12 minutes, Sokar doesn't fuck off. the moment that weapon is shot down to the, the, the moon, Sokar is aware of it. Exactly. And you had 12 minutes. <laughs> 
Um, all I can say is maybe it takes a while for hyperdrive to happen in a mothership. I'm guessing that's what I'm talking about. The hive ships that they uh, use FTL with a lot in um, Stargate Atlantis. They're obviously an entirely different species, yeah. entirely different composition. I have no idea the size com- um, comparison off the top of my head. So I'm not saying it's a fair assessment, but I do find it odd that it takes more than 12 minutes <laughs> to peace out. Now, it could just be said that he was just super arrogant and didn't think that anything was going to happen up until, like, you know, the, the too late mark and that it's actually a smaller window of dumbassery. But it still seems odd how long so it I takes will say to fuck off. Is that I actually am willing to buy the arrogance because all they know is that a weapon got fired down onto the right. Moon. They don't know what the weapon is going to do inside the core. And he could also be going like full Vizzini at that point. You know, it's just inconceivable. Inconceivable. I guess we're in a go on time. That from Sokar. You keep on using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Oh, Montoya. But yeah, so we we get from Alduin that timing is key here, which is why they can't wait around for a rescue. They have to, you know, shoot it as soon as Sokar pulls up into orbit, because otherwise they're they're screwed. So we get Apophis uh, questioning Martouf, and there's this whole very dramatic emotional scene where, like, Joel and her... Actually, again, one of the nice cuts is we see, like... Because uh, Apophis is using Sam as part of his bargaining ship um, against Martouf in conjunction with the memory stuff. And, like, we see Sam, but then, like, Martouf sees Jolinar standing there and she starts to walk forward. And then as they shove her down onto her knees... The, between the standing of her walking and the cut to her being pushed down on her knees, they switch to Sam. And it's Sam being pushed on, down onto her knees. Yep. No, it's good old Deloise directing. Yeah, it's great. It's it's nice little subtle cut, and I like it. And where you don't have to try and do uh, CGI, like, blending the two in, like, an Animorphs nightmare infusion <laughs> that you didn't have the CGI for back then. But yeah, so Martouf has a really emotional scene where Apophis is threatening Jolinar slash Sam. Sam's telling him, don't listen, blah, 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 you're, you know, don't fall for this. And it's, it appears to the viewers and or uh, Apophis, or I guess Apophis and or the viewers, because some of the viewers might have noticed that Vorash is where the Tok'ra actually are. But he gives a location, and he says that the planet is uh, intact. And then Apophis is like, ha, finally someone fucking cracked <laughs> Yes, and spies are never known to lie. No, of course not. Spies aren't trained in counter, <laughs> in encountering this kind of stuff. Counter espionage. We're also using their technology to get this information, but there's no way they've trained against it. Because apparently the blood of Sokar is just that powerful. Even though it hasn't worked on two people up until now, it's totally gonna work on this fusion of two people together. That yep, this yeah. yep. Obviously. And again, all because I'm threatening to shoot his girlfriend. His his not actually girlfriend. That being said, I do know that I, I did notice that the uh the goose on the other side that I use for trivia, because again, IMDB kind of let me down for this one. <laughs> but did you notice after he uh after Martouf supposedly gives up the information, Apophis immediately closes up his little staff weapon. Except it doesn't make any sound. It doesn't make the closing oh, no. sound, the little powering down sound. It just didn't happen. You hear the click of the prop, but you don't <laughs> ever hear any sort of Oops. sound over it. Oops. Oopsie. Oopsie doodle. 
So we get a brief scene with Sokar where on his ship where he's like, hey, Finar hasn't gotten back to me since I spoke to him last. Most unusual. My response to that is to blow the whole moon out of the sky. <laughs> I, you're not answering my calls? I'm going to destroy your planet. <laughs> well, I think, no, he wasn't going to destroy it. He was going to cleanse it so that he could start it anew. Yeah, but that's, he was going to, you know, he was going to bomb it, but he was fully intending to leave himself a functional, it, yeah. uh, a functional sure. cave system of sorts. He Sorry, was going to leave gonna the prison for future it. use. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was going to firebomb the shit out of it, but he didn't want to get but rid of it. But in order to do that, he has to get into orbit to do it. With his hatak. So now we know he's moving into orbit. So now we've got the timer counting down to when they can shoot, when, when um, Alduin and Teal can shoot their little bomb into the core. And then uh, we get a little scene between uh, Martuf and Sam where he reveals that he lied about the location. And she's like, oh, thank God, you're not that stupid. <laughs> oh, thank God you actually know how to do your job. Yeah, Phew. right? That's literally... She's like, she's like, well, I believed you. <laughs> Up until now, the only actually like somewhat accurate representation I think of a spy for me has been Rogue One, where he fucking mm-hmm. shoots his... Yeah. Friend in the back. Because he knows his friend wouldn't uh, hold up under interrogation. You're already dead. You just don't know it. Tells him it's going to be okay and then shoots him before he can think otherwise. That's as good exactly. as a death as that guy was going to get. And I mm-hmm. loved that scene. And what kills me is every time I talk about this with other people, they're like, yeah, of course he had to die. He kills somebody in the first scene. He's not a good guy. And I'm like, he is a spy, motherfucker. You have no idea what you're talking about. Do you have any idea what kind of a soldier that is? These are the same people who made George Lucas think he had to change who shot first in the in the original exactly it's like there are there are different kind of kinds of people yeah, yeah exactly they're the best kind of hero is the morally ambiguous right. one the one who yeah. has to make decisions based on actual survival and Absolutely. i like this for actually showing a somewhat other view of that as well where it's like Dude, do you think I'd be here if every time someone threatened the love of my life, I gave up information? Yeah. I'm supposed to be fighting against the overall oppression of the Goa Uld as a whole. I mean nothing in this long run, and my girlfriend sure as fuck doesn't mean anything in the long run. Especially because And we would both have to be aware of that. (laughs) Yeah. But I just love that he's like, yeah, of course it's gonna fucking hurt. Doesn't mean I'm fucking stupid. It's honestly, it's a great sort of, like, follow-up to how unnecessarily emotional Martouf was about finding out that Jolinar had to sleep with the warden in the last episode. This was Robert C. Cooper going like, okay, let's recover this a bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He recovers a lot of dignity for Martouf as a concept hell here. Yeah, but he yeah. still has a bullshit apologist scene in the beginning with yeah. uh, Sam going like, you must be angry about what Jolinar had to do to escape. And I'm like, can we stop bringing this up as if this is <laughs> something that would have even begun to phase him? Seriously, how the fuck would he have been mated to somebody in this profession if this bugged him to this degree? Yeah. I hated it when they brought it up in the uh, Kingsman Golden Circle movie when he was all like conflicted oh, yeah, about that chick. And I'm like, bitch, get over it. You're a fucking here's spot. Here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing. So... Uh, in Kingsman Golden Circle, I will say, I agree with you. It's like, he's a spy. He had to do his fucking job. Yes. Also, he found the least offensive way to do it. So calm down. But on the other hand, she's not in that world. 
So I'm willing to believe, like, I'm frustrated with her, but I'm willing to believe that she would be unhappy about it and wouldn't have that. That part is my problem. It's his problem with it, where he's just so conflicted about it. And I'm like, okay, you're a spy because you think this is a brand new spy. Yeah, but again, I would assume that some. But I'm saying he hasn't created that distance yet. That's the thing. I would have expected him to have learned how to create some sort of distance by now because you have to realize what a spy... Being a spy isn't all just fun and murder. It's yeah. other things, too. Oh, man, it's not... <laughs> yeah. So, Aww. yeah, I just... I just, I didn't care for that where it's like you're treating him as if he's still just an emotional little puppy soldier and I'm like, no, he's a fucking spy. Have some respect for that. Jesus. And I just... I like this for kind of taking that other approach. But, you know, at least they did have him actually do it. Like, he's like, I, I have to do my job. <laughs> Never mind that that's how, kind of how you met your current fiancé in the first place. And the chick you had casual anal with? Yeah. <laughs> in her prison cell. In her prison cell, because that wasn't questionable as fuck. Uh, I that's mean, that was just... on purpose. That was that was a nod to James Bond. Like... Yeah, but still. Ugh. No, I know, I know. I remember how fucking riled some people got about that. It's like, you, you realize it's a direct reference to how inappropriate a lot of the sex scenes in James Bond are, right? Direct reference. That's why they made it more wholesome for the sequel, to, to recover yeah, it. that's why they had him stay with her. Those who do casual anal together stay together. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. But I just, I love it. It's like, how are y'all watching Kingsman and not understanding that, like, this? these are all, like, direct, like, they have the fucking speech where they're directly calling out James Bond. Like, how do y'all not realize all of this is calling out James like Bond? Like me, Come on. they were distracted by the excellent Freebird scene and couldn't get past it. I mean, the Freebird scene is excellent. <laughs> so good. So good. I, yeah. I just, uh, up until Atomic Blonde, that was like my favorite long action scene. But yeah, so let's do this. We're almost at two hours. Yeah. We're almost, and we're getting, we're almost there. So, uh, after Martouf, uh, tells Sam, yeah, I, did, I, I actually know how to do my job. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, but then he's like, so if, if he got what he thought he wanted out of me, why did he take Dr. Jackson? And everyone watching at home knows exactly why he took Dr. Jackson. I don't know. Why do you think that the guy that well, has a connection to his dead Martouf, mate might have been taken? I don't think Martouf really knows about all of that. I would hope that the spy knows everything that needs to be known about the backstory between Daniel and Apophis. Well, would do the Toker know about the child at all? The child, not necessarily, but I would assume... I would have made the assumption of that just... I was just saying the connection between Daniel and Amonette. It's just a petty thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> a petty thing, at the very least. Yeah. You know, something that they're going old are most definitely known for her they do have some but grudge yeah. complex issues so we get i i like that we actually cut immediately from asking what uh, apophis would want with daniel to daniel already in a memory <laughs> like we don't even see him like forcing the blood of sokar down his throat or all that kind of, we're just already in the memory they've already of ripped course. off temple of doom twice they don't need to do it again and of course apophis like I honestly kind of love that Apophis' impressions of these people are, like, so one-dimensional. Like, Sam's is the tragedy of her family with her mom and her dad. Uh, Jack's is the tragedy of of Charlie. And Daniel's is... Hmm, where's Daniel? Oh, he's in his office looking at artifacts. Yeah. No, that's, it's Charlie's That's things. what Daniel does. It's yeah, Charlie's I know, things. but, like... Yeah, yeah. Well, artifacts. <laughs> It was his wedding chalice and stuff. Yeah. I just love how we cut to a scene where he's in his office looking at a a crate of of old-looking shit. Of, like, 
Apophis, you're so reductionary of who Daniel is as a person. And also, this is where we have proof that Apophis, even Apophis, knows that Jack and Daniel are married. Because who's the one who's going to get Daniel to talk? Jack. For Sam, it was her dad. For Jack, it was his dead son. For Daniel, it's Jack. <laughs> Except that... Again, Jack is so unsubtle. <laughs> I love how Apophis, this is why they're called the Tok'ra and not the Tok Apophis. They don't think you're a challenge, Apophis. You're not here to deal with spies. You're an idiot. Apophis is a cockroach, okay? He really he's is. not smart, but he's very good resilient. at staying alive. Yeah, very resilient. resilient. I couldn't think of the word. But yeah, so Jack immediately starts asking about the child, and Daniel's like, I thought you didn't believe me about what I told you uh, she was telling me in the dream. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> why don't you tell me now? And he's like, no. <laughs> and he's I like, oh, wanna. come on. I just forgot. You already told me once. And he's like, no. <laughs> and he literally, like, shouts himself out of the memory. <laughs> and Dude, he's it's like, great acting, too. He's literally, like, doing, like, the hear no evil thing. Just, like, he literally screams himself out of, a mem- out of the memory. And it's so good. It's, it's so good. <laughs> Daniel doesn't give Apophis bubkins. Oops, one second. I don't know how, but Stargate started playing in the background. <laughs> Why? Stop. Did Alexa here is talking about Stargate. I'm guessing something happened. All of a sudden, I was like, they couldn't hear you anymore. All of a sudden, your voice went away, and I was just hearing the theme, and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Anyway, sorry, I'm That's... back. Hi. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, it's just, he, he shouts himself out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's it's so funny. <laughs> just mood, buddy. Um, mood. And right at this scene, uh, Sokar has gotten close enough that he's um, calling for Binar. He's like, hey, dude, why haven't you called me back since I sent you back down there? Why do you defy me? Yeah. And Apophis is like, well, he's dead, so I'm in charge now, and I want to barter with you. <laughs> and I like how Sokar's like, but with his silence, is like, go on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So Papa's basically like, look, I got some, I tortured the intruders. I have some information you might want. And in return, I want uh, to be in charge of Natu. <laughs> I killed your bitch. I'd like to be your new bitch. Yeah, exactly. So uh, he calls, he, he rings Apophis up. <laughs> the, the transport rings, sends Daniel away. And before he rings him up, Apophis like talks to his new quote unquote first prime about like his plans about how he's gonna get close enough to Sokar to kill him or whatever, and he's got like a secret weapon that he's gonna do it with. Like he he gets himself ready, and then he's gonna go up to the ship. But because all this happened while Daniel was in the room, Daniel is now able to tell everyone when he gets sent back to the pit. Hey, Sokar's in orbit. Hey. <laughs> oh, and before they sit Daniel away, <laughs> a beautiful moment. I love the self-awareness of Daniel Jackson as a character. (laughs) Because as they're going to take him away, he does the most laughable punch at one of his guards' stomachs that's so bad that the guy just, like, looks down at his stomach where Daniel punched him. And then, like, bitch slaps him back. That was embarrassing to watch, Daniel. It was so funny. But Daniel did this all on purpose to purposefully fall in to the communicator that they took from him earlier. And he just grabs the communicator and then gets dragged back to the pit. He's like, so, uh, so car's in orbit, but I got this. <laughs> Broken cheekbone, but also this. <laughs> yeah. 
so they know we get we get Teal'c and Alduin. They see Apophis get sent up to Sokar's ship. Alduin's like, okay, well, you know, there he's in orbit. It's it's time to start, you know, getting ready to shoot the weapon. And meanwhile, Sam calls Teal'c and is like, hey, <laughs> hey, what's up, my man? We're alive. <laughs> I know it's been a while, but we're here. And Teal'c takes that as the opportunity to, uh, well, the guy fire Alduin fires the weapon before Teal'c can stop him. But then Teal'c's like, okay, well, I'm sticking around to get my team back, and Alduin's not for that. So he overpowers Alduin and locks him in, like, the the same kind of place they were locked in in the bounty hunter. The cargo um, holds there. Yeah. I also love the doors to the cargo hold. These these things live up to, to beautiful sci-fi standards, which is just like in Star Trek, just like in... I'm I'm sure Farscape, but when I look for it someday, the doors always wobble. <laughs> I never get tired of watching the uh, the tri doors of 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 these uh, cargo vessels. I love watching them wobble into place. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's a cute little thing that I actually really enjoy seeing because it's like I like being reminded sometimes that they're on a set. It's like one of my favorite scenes ever is um one of the uh, it's basically the intro scene to an episode of Next Gen where Picard and uh, Wesley get stranded on a planet because for some reason Starfleet doesn't have enough shuttles and they have to get a third party to drive them somewhere. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> but of course the shuttle crash lands. But my favorite part about it isn't even anything about the episode. It's just when they're doing the crashing part and Will Wheaton reaches over casually to close the door that was opening behind him. <laughs> I love Will Wheaton. <laughs> I just can't handle it because the set door just started to move and he just went, nope, <gasps> back. And he just pushes it back into place. That memory oh has held God. firm in my heart for many, many years. And so that's I just have happy fondness in my in, inside of me every time I see anything ever with a door problem. That's in the same sort of category as how anytime the ships were being like fired upon and were like were being hit badly, the way they would film it was they would just have everyone throw themselves around the set and you'd have people literally throw themselves over the control panels. <laughs> That's some good shit. Old sci-fi has some good shit, man. I just, I'll, I'll always be grateful to people who stabilize uh, clips so I get to watch Patrick Stewart just going around in his chair like yes. a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> it's some good shit, man. I love it. Um, but yeah, so we get this whole, this is where like, because we had like all of these conditions of time clocks set up earlier in the episode, and this is where they're all coming into uh, correlation. So Alduin shot the weapon, everyone thinks Sokar is firing on the planet, Teal manages to get a hold of Sam, and he's like, you got 12 minutes to get off planet. <laughs> yep. So they, they know they have 12 minutes now. And Alduin, uh, meanwhile, to make sure that they don't leave, Teal has to, you know, lock him into the cargo hold. <laughs> to be like, no, I'm, I'm sticking around to get my team back, my man. <laughs> Or die trying. Don't let me. Bye. Yeah, exactly. So he he gives them the timer, and Sam comes up with a science solution to how to open the grate for the pit. She's basically like, "Well, the the core's all like mad, so let's go to one of these steam vents and pile a whole bunch of rocks in until the pressure builds up enough that it creates like an air cannon." Dude, leave it to Sam to immediately go about making a bomb. Yeah, good for her, man. But yeah, so. Uh, we're doing a whole bunch of cuts between everywhere. So we've got, uh, we've, we've got three places, really. We've got the pit where they're building the air cannon to get out of the pit. Uh, we've got Teal'c on the ship waiting for his team to uh, 
get to the transport ring so that he can intercept them. And Alduin on the other side of the wall. And we already talked about this two hours ago, but <laughs> we like how, uh, you know, as a spy, he, as a character, he's, he's a great character because when he was going in and he was in control of the situation, he's like, look, this is what's I going down. Team, <laughs> but this is what has to happen. Uh, but the moment he's like, well, I'm locked in here. I can't get out. I guess I'll help Teal. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rather be a help than a hindrance here. Might as yeah, well being, do something effective. Being mulish in here doesn't help anything. Maybe he'll get get us out if I tell him what to do. So Alduin tells Teal exactly where he needs to position himself to possibly get them. And he's like, you have to have stopped. <laughs> yeah, otherwise you'll miss when part you, of the matter stream. And they'll like, they'll, they'll splinch themselves. They'll lose an arm or something. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that, you know, I, I, once again, they're just glossing over how you can just, you know, capture a matter stream to begin with, but Listen, whatever. He he's only working with what the previous writers gave him. There's only so much he can do. <laughs> Out of all the things that sci-fi has glossed over, math is sometimes the most egregious thing yes. to gloss over. And so we've got that scene with that, and then on the planet we've got them breaking out of the pit and racing to get to the room with all of the, the transport rings. And then up on Sokar's ship, we have Apophis meeting with Sokar and being like, yo, <laughs> I want to be in charge of Natu." He doesn't know that the whole moon's about to blow up. And I got information for you to, you know, smooth this deal over. And so Car's like, what do you have? And he's like, I know where the Tok'ra are. And he's like, okay, well, uh, you got to prove to me you have this information first. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, they're on this planet. And so Car's immediately like, this fucking idiot. <laughs> like, all right, you're dead to me. I you're useless to me. And Pops is like, what? <laughs> I actually think um, we've already given credit to the actor for Apophis before, but he does it. He does a great job in this scene where, like, he's got his eyes are really wide and like he's got this like ed element of like manicness to him because Apophis has clearly lost his goddamn mind after being resurrected. But also, like, there's definitely this edge of fear when he's confronting Sokar as well. Oh, yeah. And you can see it just in the way his eyes are. It's good. He's a good actor. We already said that after he did his death scene. But, like, he's he's great. But he's like, what? What's wrong? And he's like, I just conquered that planet. The Tok'ra aren't there, stupid. <laughs> yep. I may be paraphrasing slightly, but <laughs> that's what he meant in his heart. <laughs> so, Apophis, uh whips around and uses his his secret weapon to knife the guy who was coming at him, gets a hold of that guy's staff weapon, uh, but the delay, because he was already going to, he was going to use that weapon to get to Sokar himself, so the delay was enough time for Sokar to put up a shield. So he can't kill Sokar with a staff, staff weapon, so he's like, all right, I'm out, and we get an unnecessary slow motion of him turning and running. <laughs> it's, it's such a long, drawn-out yeah. Slow-mo scene. It, it's, it's, it feels like they were done with the episode and realized it was 45 seconds too short for their commercial well, breaks or something. You know, I don't know, I was, but it's all. I was about to make that joke, but then I had another thought that they might have gotten to the end of, like, you know, the, where they're editing and putting, you know, the things they shot together and realized that what they had there didn't work. Like, something went wrong with all of the shots they had there, so they just... It had to slow down something else. Yeah. It could have just been an editing issue. Yeah. It's, Peter DeLuise is such a good director that when we get these moments, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> Everybody loves slow-mo for some reason. I'm like, okay. Or maybe he was just honoring Apophis' need for drama, okay? 
Maybe that was there it. There it is. He understood the character on a, on a fundamental level. He did. So Pophis runs, and the team get to the, the rings. They tell Teal'c, like, hey, we're going up. <laughs> so Teal'c flies, and Teal'c must be Master Pong uh, player, because he, like, zooms in to the perfect place and stops on a dime to catch his team. And uh, uh, they teleport into the cargo bay. So as soon as they land, Aldwin like tells Teal, "They're in here, run!" <laughs> so Teal's like, "Okay, I'm gonna keep going." Yeah, I'm just not dealing with it. <laughs> it's just a Robert C. Cooper using what his, the the predecessors gave him, and just like it's it's the same way that I was like laughing at how he solved how Teal got out of his situation like off screen. It's very much a look. That's not what this episode was about. They're good. They're fine. They're out. Bye. <laughs> Rings are one hundred percent their ex machina of choice for the show up until season t- up till the end. I mean, they use. A super gate and rings <laughs> to save Vala's character when she had no business surviving past that point in the show. But they made it work. Rings are always their go-to. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm striving to be over it. We'll see if I achieve it. Yeah. But yeah, so the, the team get out. We see, I don't actually, okay, I'm gonna need your help here. Because I don't actually remember this part. The, the the planet does cat does the planet catch his mothership? Yes. No, I missed okay. it too. I figured it. Did. I had to go back because for the, all of the setup, it happens so fucking quickly. Yeah, it's basically I saw, like, off an screen. explosion in the sky, and I was like, "Was that the mothership?" I'm pretty sure that's basically <laughs> it. Like, it's just kind of like it's just it just happens. Like, it just explodes yeah. and it's over, and it's like, oh, they focus more on the outcome after that than the actual death. Yeah. Although, to be fair, like, Sokar's gone, who cares? Yeah, that's just the thing is they just punt out that storyline, and I'm like, okay, I thought you were going somewhere with this, but all no. right. I feel like Robert C. Cooper was saving us from all of the unnecessary Christianity that they brought in with Sokar. He's like, he he finally got brought into the Sokar plot, and he's he looked at all of it with, we're getting rid of the devil. This is stupid. <laughs> you guys understand how time works, right? Uh, but yeah, so I guess Sokar's dead now. The The plan worked. And our last scene that we get is it's 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 in the same vein as like a post credit scene. Because the team got out. They're safe. They're fine. Whatever. Who cares? Yeah, they, they, they do have an acknowledgement <laughs> scene of it, at least, where they're all kind of huddled yeah. up, you know, beaten up and shit. Yeah, and Jack's like, like water, tea. Yeah, yeah. So I need some tea. Yeah. But the important part of this episode is like, it's the, the episode version of the Marvel post credit scene is we see Apophis in Sokar's palace on the planet, just looking at the remains of the moon that got destroyed and then turning around to face the camera, because he's a drama queen at heart. The jutted chin. The king is dead, long live the king. And that's how the episode ends. <laughs> yeah, like my last note on there literally is literally first it's aw for the father-daughter vacation line that uh, yeah. Jacob has, where it's like, Do you have some leave coming up? Let's have a father-daughter vacation. I hear Alaska's cold. And I love that. Oh yeah, that was cute. That's really yeah. sweet. But yeah, though that I my last note is literally just lol, that ending. <laughs> Robert C. Cooper appreciates how extra apophysis <laughs> it was very encounter at far point extra for me though oh yeah but yeah so that is the end of this episode uh robert c cooper did his best to wrap up a hot mess he did and it's it he did a pretty decent job uh my, yeah. my text to you was was that episode was insanely better than last time exactly so let's go ahead and talk about the death tally 
Nobody died. Sam kind of made a go for it, but not really. Yeah. And then let's, uh, are you a Jack or are you a Daniel? I'm a Danny boy in this one. Yeah. I, like, my text to you said 30 seconds in and I already know who I am this episode. (laughs) I'm in its dead. Sorry about that. Pause. Pause. Well, no, I'm not sorry at all. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's a snarky bitch. I guess I'm Daniel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I'm not to say that Jack wasn't enjoyable as well. He was. But just, Daniel was just, the fact that, like, Robert C. Cooper was like, Daniel gets to talk to Apophis again. This is the perfect opportunity for him to be a snarky bitch. You don't have Daniel interact with Apophis and not have him be a snarky bitch. That's what it comes down to. Hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. No, that, that, would, no, that would not work. So, it was great. Loved it. Definitely a Daniel there. Uh, yeah. So, on the matter of loved it, Joaquin Phoenix. Thumbs up. Hell yeah. It's it's probably one of Robert C. Cooper's weaker thumbs up from us. Oh, yeah. I'm not, like, you know, raving about it, but it's definitely not bad. Yeah, but that's, again, it's because, like, he didn't create yeah, no, the buildup. He, he, he had he inherited to deal with what a he hot had. Exactly. As soon as we saw that the, the resolution was done by Robert C. Cooper, as soon as we saw the resolution was done by Robert C. Cooper, we're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, oh, Okay. <laughs> He'll bring this together. He'll make it work. And while he he's still and what I I think um what I've noticed with Robert C. Cooper is while the credit to most bantery will always go to Brad Wright in the writing team, Robert C. Cooper is getting more bantery like with every episode he writes. Like he's getting a feeling for the banter. Like he's he's adapting. There we go. Yeah, I agree. Because, like, uh, what was the last episode he did? Um, shit. Dead Man? God, what was the last episode Robert C. Cooper did? I don't know. Oh, Robert, 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 where are you? Fair Game. Was that was the last a while ago. Wait, no. Dead Man Switch. I was right. I was right. I looked at the titles and I'm like, I feel like Dead Man Switch was written by him. <laughs> and it was. And Dead Man Switch was bantery as hell. Hell yeah, it was. And that's when I realized, I was like, wow, he's getting really good at the banter. Like, he was never bad at it, but, like, he's getting really good at it. Yeah. I could not get over the 80s-ness of Dead Man Switch. Yeah, that was so good. I loved it. That was dedication. That was a love letter. <laughs> yep. Also, Dead Man Switch will always live in my heart for... I thought you were a doctor. I am, but not that kind of doctor. <laughs> and how put out he is at Daniel being like, I'm not that kind of doctor. I love it. I love it, that shit, man. But yeah, so thank you, Robert C. Cooper, for resolving the hot mess that we had last week. <laughs> Goodbye, Sokar. I'll see you for a Nubakar. <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to Anubis. (laughs) I love Anubis. I love the complexity of my feelings towards Oma de Sala as a result of Anubis. I love the confliction that is introduced that will follow us through all the rest of SG-1 and into SGA where it's just like, fuck the ancients. Oh my god, fuck the ancients. And I love how good of a job they do with it. I'm looking forward to Anubis. But that's that's in a that's in a ways. <laughs> yep. We got a while to go before we get Anubis. Uh, but until then, next week we are covering uh, episode fourteen, Foothold, and the synopsis for next week's episode is: During routine medical exams, Doctor Fraser injects each team member with a sedative, rendering them unconscious. Tilk awakens and sees General Hammond conspiring with Fraser and two aliens. What has happened at Stargate Command? And can SG-1 overpower its own 
in quotes, allies. That's actually a really good synopsis. That's a great synopsis for a great episode. It's almost as if they realized how good of an episode it was, and they were like, we better actually put some effort into this one. Foothold's one of those where there's like a lot of nuance to the episode, to where like you have to you have to be smart about how you're writing the synopsis to Foothold, or you ruin the entire experience. Uh, we're not going to talk too much on it, because uh, we're going to talk about it next week, but Foothold is one of those great experiences where it's kind of like, it's a lot like Forever in a Day, where you spend a lot of the episode questioning what you know as being yeah, real. It's a mind fuck. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and it's Heather Ash. So yeah. So until next week, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at it's mail not list or our podcast Twitter at Point of Origin PC. You can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us in our incursion through the iris. And until next time. <laughs>